The throw. Down the sideline. Hester caught it. 10 5. Touchdown. Touchdown, Jackson State. He'll lose traffic. He'll drive it down and jam it in. Oh, my. Jamal Gregory. Highlight real time. Sports Center top 10 time. This is Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Now, here's your host, Tyler Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Behind the Beak, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. I'm Tyler Brown. My co-host, Avery Davis, will rejoin the podcast next week. This is episode nine of the series. Today's guest is the voice of Jacksonville State Athletics, Mr. Mike Paris. It's a fantastic discussion. We had a ton of fun recording it. You'll want to listen to every single second. Our conversation is on deck, but first, we have a few housekeeping notes. If you're looking for previous episodes of Behind the Beak and want to get caught up, you can find those by searching Behind the Beak on the Apple Podcast app and Spotify or by going to jsugamecocksports.com slash podcasts. And if you haven't already, click the subscribe and follow buttons to be alerted when new episodes are available. Now it's time to get you caught up on the news. Jacksonville State football dropped a tight 24-21 homecoming matchup to Southeast Missouri on Saturday, October 19th. Despite holding the Red Hawks 280 yards of total offense, and a late-game touchdown from Zarek Cooper to Ahmad Edwards. It wasn't enough to lift the Gamecocks over the OVC foe on a rainy evening at Burgess Snowfield. The Gamecocks are back home Saturday, October 26th, to host Murray State. Kickoff is set for 3 p.m., and the game will broadcast live on ESPN3. Jacksonville State Volleyball split two matches on its trip to Illinois last weekend, but managed to remain in first place in the OVC standings. Gamecocks fell 3-1 to SIUE on Friday, October 18th in Edwardsville, but swept Eastern Illinois 3-0 the next day to force a four-way tie atop the conference standings. Moorhead State, SEMO, JSU, and Murray State each have six wins and two losses in OVC play. Volleyball returns home Friday, October 25th to take on Murray State at 6 p.m. and then squares off against Austin P. at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Friday's match is set to broadcast on ESPN+. Jacksonville State soccer picked up a 3-2 win over Murray State Friday, October 18th at the JSU Soccer Complex in its final home game of the season. The Gamecocks wrap up the season with road matches at SEMO and UT Martin Friday, October 25th, and Sunday, October 27th, respectively. Both matches can be watched on ESPN+. In golf action, the men are currently competing in the KSU Pine Tree Intercollegiate in Kennesaw, Georgia at the Pine Tree Country Club. Women's golf is coming off a 13th place finish at the Palmetto Intercollegiate hosted by the College of Charleston. Their next event is the UALR Women's Golf Classic in Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, October 27th and 28th. Cross Country ran the Little Rock Trojan Invitational in Little Rock, Arkansas on October 19th. The men placed 5th in the field of 12, while the women were 8th out of 12 teams. The next event for Cross Country is the OVC Championships November 2nd in Edwardsville, Illinois. Rifle did not shoot this week. Their next meet is Saturday, October 26th at the Gamecock Rifle Range against Moorhead State. And lastly, JSU Hall of Fame induction banquet tickets are now on sale. The banquet is scheduled for Friday, October 25th in the Stadium Club on the fifth floor of Meehan Hall at JSU Stadium. The event starts at 6.30 p.m. and the 2018-2019 Hall of Fame class includes golf standout Matias Anselmo, volleyball All-American Abby Bright, baseball star Clay Whittemore, and former tennis coach Steve Bailey. Tickets to the induction banquet are $25 each and include your meal and a seat at the banquet. Fans may reserve tickets by calling 256-782-5368 or by emailing 
lmcfall, that's l-m-c-f-a-l-l at jsu.edu. That does it for this week's news and upcoming events, and now it's time for our featured interview. Mike Paris began broadcasting Jacksonville State football 37 years ago, and Saturday's homecoming game against SEMO marked his 400th in the booth as the voice of the Gamecocks. He's been behind the mic for nearly every milestone game in almost every sport, whether it be the 1992 Football National Championship, back-to-back baseball championships in 1990 and 1991, or the 1985 Men's Basketball Championship. JSU fans have invited Paris into their homes for nearly four decades, and he shows no signs of stopping anytime soon. Ladies and gentlemen, The Voice, Mike Paris. On the podcast today, the man who just recorded his 400th career game behind the mic, Jacksonville State Football, and uh, also just recently celebrated a birthday, Mike oh, Paris. I'm old. That's it right there. That's it. I'm old. <laughs> Paris, welcome to the podcast. And of course, we're going to be talking about your career behind the mic, Jacksonville State Football, and not only football, but basketball, baseball, softball. You've done it all at Jacksonville State. And uh, one of the things that I feel like a lot of announcers talk about is that very early on, even in their childhood, they know exactly the moment when they decided I wanted to be a broadcaster. When did you have that moment? I don't know. It wasn't in my younger days because I thought I was going to play Major League Baseball, you know. (laughs) Uh, I grew up in a very small town in North Georgia, a little over 300 people. So um, let's just say there wasn't a whole lot of activity, you know, for kids <laughs> at that time and not many kids to play with as well my age. But uh, I guess you, uh, I started, I guess I could say at an early age, I created my own games, football season, basketball season. Um, and I would, uh, baseball season, throw a ball up against the house or something like that, you know. So I, I guess you, we could say that's where it all started. But uh, really until – uh, I got into uh, high school and in uh, junior and senior year. I guess that's really when I thought that hey, maybe I should. That's something I want to try and want to do. So, you grew up in Georgia. Larry Munson, I believe, was one of your heroes. Who were some others that kind of influenced you growing up? And you you decided whenever you got into broadcasting that were some of your heroes. Uh, Milo Hamilton was a Braves play-by-play guy at that time, and. You know, I've always been a Braves fan, Falcons fan, Hawks fan. So I grew up listening to to Milo Hamilton. Ernie Johnson was his color guy. And then, of course, Ernie then, when uh, Ted Turner bought the Braves and TBS, uh, was WTCG years ago, Channel 17 Atlanta, which led then to TBS. But, you know, Ernie was part of that. Skip Carey, I listened to him doing Atlanta Hawks basketball. Uh, when the Hawks moved to Atlanta from St. Louis, Skip came with them, and he was regarded as one of the top three or four guys doing NBA basketball at that time. A lot of people don't remember him or didn't know that he did that, quite honestly. Uh, and um, I guess the first guy named Ed Thelenius was doing uh, Georgia sports at that time, and then he actually was doing Falcon stuff too. And then CBS used to have the old NFL uh, years ago, and I'm showing my age again, but he, he started working with, uh, with CBS New Falcons games on Sunday afternoon. That's when Munson uh, came to – he was in Atlanta. Actually, he started out working with the Braves crew, as a matter of fact, and then he took over the Georgia broadcast. And that's – you know, I grew up listening to him mainly, and we were right on the Tennessee line, so I could – John Ward, I would hear him doing Tennessee games. And 
my dad, Baptist preacher, uh, was out of high school for a while before he went back to college and then went to seminary, and we moved to New Orleans. So John Ferguson was a long-time play-by-play voice of the LSU Tigers, so living in New Orleans, got to hear him too. So those are some of the guys. Um, Munson, obviously several big calls, listening to him. And uh, I am not a New Orleans Saints fan in any form or fashion, but um, I do remember I was listening uh, NFL game. Al Wester, I think, was the guy that did the uh, Saints broadcast, and Tom Dempsey kicked a 63-yard field goal to, to win a game for them. And I I just remember that in his call. I, was, I happened to think I was outside and had somehow gotten the keys and turned the car radio on and was listening to a Saints game when we lived in Louisiana at that time. You had an interesting journey going into broadcasting. Uh, you, you often talk about it as the cable system that you worked for. Yeah. Uh, you did in high school games, and uh, one of my favorite games that we play on the road when we're headed to football or basketball or whatever it is that we're, we're in the car with each other is you have this knack for when a song comes on, doesn't matter what the classic rock song is, we can turn and say, Paris, how long's the song? And it can be Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones, and you can guess 318. I don't know what the number is, but you're within – Five seconds of it every single time you were a radio DJ in your early career. Right, when I first started out. Yes, I guess that shows how uh, small my mind is, remembering little things like that. Uh, I started out in Carrollton, Georgia. Well, actually, let me back up. I started out part-time. I went to high school in Griffin, Georgia, and I worked at a local radio station there. Uh, J.B. McKay was my on-the-air name at that time. Uh, started out working part-time on weekends, and then uh, – uh, if you don't know about AM radio, you know, the days get longer in the spring and summer. So sign off is at local sunset. So the latest we would stay on the air, I guess, was 845. So I, uh, when we got to spring and summer, the short time that I worked there, you know, I was on in the evenings too. So anyway, uh, between that and then I go to work in Carrollton, that was the, the first full-time job I had in radio. It was AM FM combo in Carrollton, Georgia. And uh, my first job was uh, country music. Middays, oh, I knew nothing, absolutely nothing <laughs> about country music. Uh, and that was my first. Actually, about the time I started, I went to work there in uh, 1979, July 79. And uh, that was when Alabama released a couple of things. That's my first introduction to, to the group Alabama. Uh, but from there, I worked, you know, both sides of our station. The FM was top 40, as it was called then. So, but... I guess you learn how much time you had between records, whether you had, you know, going to the bathroom or checking the the, the news wire when we still did those things like that. So it was, uh, I, I I don't know how. I, I've just always had the memory for that. And Josh Underwood, I, we were on one trip, and I think every song for about 100 miles that came on, you know, he said, hey, how long is this one? And so anyway, just, you know, the mind is, is – uh, you never know what you know how it works or whatever. So it's just one of those things. Like, how do you remember the words to all the songs and things like that? You know. So anyway, unfortunately, I didn't have the knack for making money or like I can't remember <laughs> times of songs. You know? oh. We are recording this on location. This is October twenty first. Currently ten fifty. Way past my bedtime. <laughs> yes, it is. We just rolled into Evansville, Indiana. Uh, tomorrow is. OVC Basketball Media Day, and so uh, just to we give you that information because this past Saturday, 
Mike recorded his 400th game on the radio for Jacksonville State football. Tell me about the first football game you broadcasted at Jacksonville State. What year was it? What do you remember about being on the mic for that game? September of 83. I don't remember the exact date. Oh, Chamberlain Field, you're familiar with at UTC. That was the first game. Uh, 1983, Jim Fuller was the head coach of Jacksonville State. Bill Oliver, brother, as everybody in the state of Alabama knows him, he was the head coach at UTC. Uh, they had two linebackers, and I think both of them played in the NFL. One of them, well, no, they made every tackle that day. Chattanooga wins the game 13-6. to uh, And, again, this is 1983, so obviously the technology was a whole lot different then than it is now. But we actually had a sideline guy. Uh, and this, it was a – evening kick and then the Saturday morning edition of the Aniston Star that particular Saturday game day let's just say uh, brother's comments about Jacksonville State were not too flattering I'll put them that way insinuated might hit a little late stuff like that and all I the one big thing I remember was well two things the press box wasn't very big or the radio booth wasn't very big and I've been in several of those through the years uh, but the other thing was, that, and and Fuller and, and Brother had been together at Alabama. And they meet post-game for the handshake at midfield. And Mr. Fuller, as people know him, he's a little fiery sometimes. And uh, he had a few choice words. Fortunately, we were on the delay system at that time in 1983. And uh, as far as I know, they didn't get on the air. Nobody ever said anything about it. But Mr. Fuller sort of tore into him there for a moment. And then everything was okay after that. So, but that was my first game, and I remember that. It was uh, that was his last year as a head coach in '83, and um, uh, we were in the old Gulf, well, in the Gulf South Conference back in those days in Division Two. So, and I didn't when I moved to Anniston, Alabama. I knew nobody there, so all this was I moved to Anniston the week uh, football season started, high school football season started. Went to work on Monday and and uh, Thursday night game between uh, Sachs and Oxford was actually the first game that I broadcast when I was working for WHMA AM and FM. Malcolm Street had done the radio broadcast, I think, 45 years, 47 years, something like that for Jacksonville State. So replaced him. He act- We actually worked together the first couple of years, as a matter of fact. You've seen some fantastic milestones along the way. The 92 National Championship. Right. Later, you started broadcasting men's basketball. You were there for the 1985 D2 Basketball National Championship. Baseball in the early 90s. Tell me about being able to be there for those calls. And then on into the future, you're there for Jacksonville State's first Division I men's basketball tournament in Indianapolis in 2017. Uh, year two. Uh, well, let me go back. 83-84, first athletic year. Basketball gets to the uh, championship game of the South Central Regional Tournament. Uh, Central Missouri State hosted it, and they won the, the D2 title that year. And we got beat at their place on their home court in the championship game of that regional tournament that year. So year two, uh, the season started down in Augusta at a tournament. And I did not make the trip with them. I was working for the radio station at that time, so I did not do the first two games. We go, we lose the first game of the year, and then win 31 straight. So I was 29 and 0 that year, broadcast-wise, or 30 and 0 actually, I guess, because uh, they were uh, one and one, and then I was there the rest of the way. But um, I thought, wow, it's pretty cool, you know. Second year national championship. This is going to be real good, real fun, you know. I, unfortunately, it wasn't that easy after that. Um, 
but with that, and then uh, Bill Burgess came in as a head coach in '85, uh, and we were in the playoffs in '88 through '92 national championship game three years during that time. And if connect on, I think it's either two or three field goals. You go back to 1987. We actually would have been in the playoffs that year. We were two kicks, I think, away from having a share of the Gulf South Conference title that year. But from '88 to '92, football, men's basketball, women's basketball. And then the the golf and tennis teams. I mean, Jacksonville stayed on the Gulf South Conference at that time. So those were some pretty good days. And it's you know I've been very blessed, very fortunate to be around some of the the greatest times in in Jacksonville State history in all sports. And then I've seen some of the some of the times that weren't so good either. But it's uh, I just feel very fortunate and, and very blessed to have been able to do this. Um, you know, Jacksonville State at one time was the only school at any level that had a, a championship in what was considered the three major sports in football, men's hoops, and then in baseball as well. And then Florida, you know, messed that up a couple of years, three, well, a little more than that now when they won the baseball title because they won football and basketball as well. So, um, <laughs> 92, our last year in Division II, uh, and we win the football championship. Uh, I'll always remember the 89 game, the snow in Florence. And, oh, you know, they, they had – it caught everybody, I think, by surprise. Rick Burgess was doing color, and I wake him up on Saturday morning and throw the curtains open, and and he couldn't believe it. He said this was God's way of telling the bullet, which was Coach Burgess's nickname from his days at Auburn. It's God's way of telling the bullet he's not going to win the national championship today. And, uh, wow, it was – uh, you know, Mississippi College wins it. They had already packed up their equipment. Supposedly they were the last team to get uh, chosen to an at-large bid to get in the playoffs. They didn't think they were going to get in, already packed up their stuff and had to get it out and all that. And then they vacate the title a few years later. You know, they had to give it up. But, and then in 91, uh, get beaten the championship game and then come back and win it in 92 in the last chance. And it was uh, obviously very enjoyable. Uh, Coach Burgess easy to work with and great and had a lot of success at Oxford High School and then at Jacksonville State. So I was happy for him and, and those guys as well. And then the success we had in baseball and they had been close before. And I go back to probably 1989, might have been the best team that Coach Abbott had. Won the first two games of the College World Series in Montgomery and then got beat two in a row. The same team, two two losses to them, and the same pitcher. Steve DeBartolomeo was a uh, was his name? Oh, rubber arm or something. Back to back games that he pitched. He got to double A. Ironically, Michael Jordan, when he did his baseball stint playing with the Barons, go to see him. DeBartolomeo was uh, was on the roster of uh, the game I went to 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 see Michael Jordan play in Birmingham and play baseball. Oh, uh, but baseball wins at ninety one and, and and ninety two is or excuse me ninety and ninety one I should say. And the one thing that stands out was those guys who had come close and all those guys that come through played with Coach Abbott, especially in 1990. They were all in Montgomery, and they felt like they were as much a part of that as those guys that won the national title uh, that day. Um, and then you mentioned 2017, all the year, you know, been in Division One since 95. And let's just say we had some lean years in basketball through there. Hadn't had a whole lot of success since moved to Division One and. Honestly, selfishly speaking, I didn't know if I'd ever get to do an NCAA tournament game, and I, oh, it was oh, wonderful. I tell you, sign me up. I'd do that every year. It's You were there. So your first year we go to the NCAA tournament. So uh, 
but it was great. And, you know, being there and having the number one CBS crew, their main crew there with Jim Nance and Bill Rafferty and Grant Hill and Tracy Wilson, it was pretty cool to spend some time with them and talk to them that day. And, and uh, you know, you look around. I did an interview with Pat Forty at halftime of the game. He was there. I think Dan Wetzel was uh, was there. I mean, these are guys who were in newspaper and now, you know, whatever – internet or whoever they're working for these days, but those guys were national guys. They're there in Indianapolis. And you think about it, Jacksonville State's in the same regional with Kentucky, Oklahoma State, and Michigan. It's pretty cool to do that. Um, and uh, the first softball game I broadcast, <laughs> I didn't know anything about fast pitch softball. And it was an NCAA regional. We're at Washington, number one team in the country at Washington. It was Washington us uh indiana and oklahoma state there and that was the first time Jana got the the first ncaa uh appearance for any uh, sport at Jacksonville state so here we are with blue blood you know in, in college athletics uh and then um everybody they asked me you know what you know your favorite thing obviously football and i know there were division two national championships but basketball two in baseball and the football title I, you know, no matter what level it is, those are special just to win the national title, to be the best that you can be. Uh, but I will forever cherish baseball in 2014. People who don't follow baseball may not comprehend and understand what those guys did. They lost the first game, and then they win six games in a row after that with their backs to the wall, come through the loser's bracket, eliminated every other team in the tournament, and we beat a team in Tennessee Tech that had, I don't know, three or four All-Americans. I mean, Louisville Slugger All-Americans had all these just gaudy offensive numbers and everything. And what those guys did in 2014 to win the OBC championship and get to a regional, oh, that's, that is near the top of the list. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Uh, and then to see what the, you know, to get to the regional this year again in Oxford, Mississippi, and then get to win the first NCA regional game in Division One and, and beat Clemson and beat Illinois and get to the regional final, uh, you know, pretty special there too. So, uh, uh, you know, I remember a lot of that stuff, and I remember some some days and games that weren't real good either. But it's it's been a long time, but I you know it's been a lot of fun, a lot of bus rides, but a lot of fun. From football game number one to this past Saturday, football game number four hundred. How much has the broadcasting game changed since you broke in? I don't know that the broadcasting the game itself has changed. Uh, it's just the technology and everything. You know, in the old days, uh, without getting too technical, it was a telephone operation. And at that time, you didn't even make a telephone call. You just used what we refer to as a telephone loop. You had two bare wires that, that you – certain pieces of equipment that you used. So you had to go back through the toll test board. And, you know, since we were in the south, it was Southern Bell, South Central Bell, or whatever. Um, and then, uh, you know, upgrading equipment. Then you know, people started using basically a business line, a landline to do ball games that way. And now everything basically is, is Ethernet. Very few people, I think, are, are still using, whether it's an ISDN line or plain old telephone line or whatever. Uh, and I think the, the sound quality uh, just – technically speaking is much better probably than it was then but i don't from a uh you know from the game standpoint uh i 
one year maybe, I think very first year, um, had somebody was a spotter, but I've never really had a spotter in doing football. And I used to in basketball, I'd keep a scorebook, but then with modern technology and now live stats and I don't keep a book anymore. I, the only thing that I keep in baseball, I do keep a scorecard in baseball. And I, um, there's just so much stuff to keep up with in baseball. It's much easier to do it that way. But now I've got the live stats pulled up because there's, you know, things that will pop up there that you can use. So that to me would be the biggest thing as far as calling the game. I don't think any of that's changed. The press boxes still are <laughs> – some of them are smaller. The radio booths are small. You know, we're – Hey, everybody loves coming to our place, and I love being there because you can spread out and got plenty of room in, in in football to do that. And I'll be honest, you know, in 1983, I didn't think Jacksonville State, you know, didn't think anything about making the move to Division One, and I, uh, you know, I never thought about it. And I'm, you know, talking to former players that come in football. I don't think anybody ever thought they'd see something at Jacksonville State like the the stadium refurbished in 2010, like it is now. And now we've got the show palace of baseball in our league and really just about anybody at our level. And then, you know, everybody comes in there. I'm talking about from the SEC or Big Ten. Purdue was in last year. I mean, they love our place. And Missouri's going to be the opening series of the year for uh, Jim Case and the guys in, in uh, the upcoming season. And, and the reason they're coming is because of the facility. And, you know, I mean, it's it's a show place. And the the remodeling or refurbishing of Pete Matthews Coliseum. It, to me, has changed the look of it, obviously. And, it, I, I, you know, whereas you could argue in the OVC, we were probably bottom third of the league for a basketball facility. Now we're at least, I think, middle of the pack and no worse than that right now because it really changed it and enhanced it very much. You mentioned keeping a scorecard in baseball, and uh, we mentioned Jim Nance earlier. Right. And one of the privileges I had of us going to the uh, NCAA tournament in 2017 was I got a co- phone call from Jim Nance to my cell phone and he wanted to talk about Jacksonville State and wanted to go through the rundown of, you know, who's your top scorer, who's who's a guy that you can count on, this and that, who's the guy that's going to shoot the ball when, you know, you need the three-pointer and all this. And uh, we got to talking about former Jacksonville State players, athletes, and he I mentioned Dieter Brock right. from football, and he said, Dieter Brock, I called a game, hang on one second, and he went to his library. Apparently he's got this massive office at home, as you can probably imagine. And he pulls out a scorecard from a game that he called with Dieter Brock in it and says, oh, yeah, Dieter did this, this, and this in that game that I called in 19-whatever. Do you keep a lot of your scorecards like that? Do you have a box at home? I'm sure your garage is full, and I'm sure Lisa probably wants a lot of it cleaned out. It's in the house in Jacksonville, (laughs) so she doesn't have to worry about it. True story. Um, When I came to work – at WHMA, AMNFM, and Aniston. We were in the radio building, corner of 14th and Noble, right across from First Methodist Church there in Aniston. A uh, gentleman in there had a real estate company, and he was retiring and just going to shut down the business. I bought a metal, and I'm talking heavy. This sucker is huge, big, wide drawers. They don't make anything like this anymore. I bought a filing cabinet from him, I think, for 25 bucks is what I paid for it. Um, I started out, you know, doing high school games on Friday night and then Jacksonville State on Saturday. So from 83 until 90, I did a high school game every Friday night, then into the playoffs. And I have every score sheet 
uh, and I've got some game programs, but every score sheet from every one of those games is in that filing cabinet uh, from 83 through 90. And then when I left the radio station, I worked for the cable system, which then was Nan Aniston New Channels, and our cable systems manager uh, was very uh, community-oriented. We did a lot of community stuff. He was one of the first to start, you know, we did the city council meetings and things like that. And... Uh, and we did a we tape delayed a high school game on Friday nights. So those games that I did on a tape delayed best uh, tape delayed basis for television, um, I've got my scores from that. And then the Jacksonville State games, uh, going back to the first game against Chattanooga in nineteen eighty three, through about I guess around two thousand, maybe somewhere in there, ninety eight, ninety nine, or two thousand, I would do. I would make my own notes, game notes, and, it, and I would handwrite them. And then once, you know, computers took over the world, then I would do stuff on computer. But I have all of that stuff, a file on every every team we played in football during that time. And then in men's basketball and women's basketball, the games that I did at that point in time, too. I've got all that. It's in that filing cabinet. And once I started saving stuff on the computer, I'd uh, – I quit keeping a file like that, but I've got, you know, some, some files that I've saved. And, and I've changed the way that I do that now since you guys print a kill a forest every time we have a home game now <laughs> with with notes and stats. I just, you know, highlight them. And, and, and I'll write some stuff out, but basically now I just do it mentally like that or just use that as a reference instead of, you know, going back to them all thing because of the depth charts that I do for football. I've got some notes that I put in there, and then the same thing for basketball. And baseball's a different animal. Modern technology, I just hit the iPad, you know, between pitches. I can look up something if I need to or whatever. That's, I guess that's one of the biggest differences there, too. But, yeah, I've got all that stuff. And that's uh, – I worked, as I said, for Malcolm Street on the radio station. So from 83 to 90 there, and then I worked – it was Anderson New Channels went through a, a couple of ownership changes, and our university hired me in a full-time capacity in 1995. Um, so when I went to work for the university, originally Jack Hopper, I was under the vice, vice president for institutional advancement, even though my job was athletics, sports information, and then my job was athletic development and marketing, and I kept doing the radio broadcast, and he had alumni, all that fell under him. Once he retired, they moved us under the athletic director in the athletic department. NCAA rulebook, if you're a Division One program, you can't do PA, radio, or TV for a high school event. So, And that is Friday nights to me are special uh, for high school football. That's one thing I do miss. And everything is entirely different now. I couldn't do a high school game on Friday night based on our travel and just so much goes into to getting ready for a game now too. So, but I do miss that, but I couldn't do one as long as I'm employed in the athletic department at Jacksonville state anyway. So, uh, i you know, I know some guys doing games, uh, division two level who still do a high school game on Friday night and, and do a college game on Saturday. So, uh, but, I there, and I don't like the fact that colleges I'm getting sidetracked here, but <laughs> I, I tend to do that. Uh, I don't I don't think colleges should play on Friday night. I think that should be high school football. Leave it alone and let it go. What, and, you know, I got to thinking the other day, I guess the only Friday night game that we've had was 2014. 
John Cross's first game as a head coach, as a matter of fact. We opened up at Michigan State, and it moved to Friday night because I think it was on the Big Ten Network. They needed a game on Friday night. But I think in uh, uh, in all the years doing this, that's the only time that we've had a Friday night game. And it all, you know, just came about with television taking control and controlling game times and when you're going to play and that sort of thing. You mentioned when you were younger you wanted to play the major leagues. You didn't do that. No. But I've heard Mike Paris was a really good softball player. Allegedly. <laughs> well, you know, it was slow pitch softball, so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I hope Jim Case doesn't hear this. I'll never hear the end of that. Yeah, you were good at slow pitch softball. That's all I'll hear. <laughs> so I enjoyed playing. We had oh uh, That was actually a topic of conversation with Jim Case one day at the stadium. <sighs> we got to talking about uh it was Greg Morrow okay. was at the field. And apparently Greg used to play he did. some, ba- very some good, softball, Very too. good athlete. Greg Morrow, the owner of Southern Custom Exhibits down in uh, Anniston. Right. And uh, He and I were talking about that Saturday. He came in the booth before the game, as a matter of fact. That's where I first met him, quite honestly. In fact, I think I did a high school game. He was a quarterback at White Plains High School, and I think I did uh, at least one game out there. So, Well, he and, he and Derek Palmer were at Jim K. Stadium, Rudy Abbott Field. And he was looking out at the field, and he said, man, I'd love to get out of here and hit a baseball. And he was talking about softball, and we got to talking. And I said, you know, Mike Parrish used to play some softball. And Greg said, yeah, he did. He was a good softball player. And Jim Case said, uh, Mike Parrish used to play softball? And uh, I said, another one that you wouldn't think of is Bill Jones. Bill Jones is in the uh, Slow Pitch Hall of Fame. I think it's ASA right. Hall of Fame. But did you play with Bill Jones? You played with uh, – We uh, had a team one summer. Jones, Coach Jones, Coach Hobbs both played with us, as a matter of fact. So, yeah, I just stood there and watched him hit it about halfway around the world. <laughs> he could crush it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I just remember the last time I played, I swore I wouldn't do that again. I was sore for two weeks after that. I was so out of shape. But, yeah, I spent a lot of time in the spring and summers playing, playing softball. Yeah, my schedule at that time was different. I didn't. I really didn't uh, from um, 83, and again, I was working at the radio station. I didn't do hardly any baseball till probably 88, and then even then when I, I wasn't employed by the university. So I didn't um, really didn't travel, do some home games. Occasionally on the weekends, I might go do something, and then the Gulf South Conference tournament or you know, postseason play in the NCAA regionals, I'd do those games. But that was about it for baseball. And then once I – uh, was hired in a full-time capacity at the university. I still didn't travel a whole lot doing baseball, and I would do baseball and softball at that point in time. So, uh, you know, it makes I can remember when Jana played, she and, and Dana, and now, you know, she's won a gazillion games coaching softball at Jacksonville State. And you know you're getting old when guys that played – that you remember them when they played. Now their sons are playing at Jacksonville State, you know, and stuff like and that. And you mentioned so. Jana. Right. She's got a daughter that's a freshman. Oh, she was in Jana's office the other day, and I said, well, I, I don't like this picture. I really am old now that <laughs> I remember you playing, and now your daughter's here playing. So, uh, and, uh, you know, another part of this, we had Burgess and Jones and Abbott three of the greatest coaches in the history of the state of Alabama, much less Jacksonville State, you know, but those guys. And and then I've been, you know, everybody that's come through in every sport, I've been very fortunate, again, very blessed to have good relationships with them. Uh, as far as I know, 
uh, maybe two or three times had cross words or a di- you know something was said, but uh, it's for the it's it's been good with everybody's been there in every sport. So this has been your week, and we're recording this podcast with you, obviously, to celebrate your. I keep waiting game. for an obituary <laughs> to come out somewhere. Uh, people been great to me. Uh, I've you know I got whether it was social media or text or phone calls or. Uh, somebody I run into, you know, and I feel bad because uh, I'll see people and they'll call me my name and I'm sorry. I don't know their names. Or I don't have, you know, but they know me. And I, as I told, uh, I guess it was Joe Medley and, and uh, Teddy Couch from the Gaston Times, Joe from the Innocent Star, um, that, you know, that this in doing what I do and especially in the South, uh, they see you, I guess, as family is the best way to put it because you're there every Saturday at a football game with them. And when you do it for 37 years, you know, it's they feel like they know you, I think, just like uh, Alabama fans. Uh, uh, oh, I've gone brain dead now, the guy, but Jim Fife and, and then Rod Bramlett at Auburn and Kay Wood Ledford at Kentucky, Munson at Georgia. I mean, people felt like they were family members, you know, I guess, because they listened to them all the time and everything. And people have been, you know, just great to me. And I I appreciate that very, very much. Well, this, this week has been about you, but what you do so well is that you're a storyteller. What is one of the most memorable stories you have, maybe of someone uh, on roster, someone that was on staff, that you think is a great story that, you can share that you think that the fans at home listening right now would love to hear that maybe they haven't heard before or they might love to hear again. Oh, wow. This has, you know, again, you're on a bus. Jones, Co- uh, Coach Jones, Coach Hobbs, Jim Skidmore, longtime athletic trainer. Mike Galloway was a longtime sports information director. Well, they would play cards on the bus. As soon as we got on the bus, Coach Jones, he couldn't stand just to sit there and ride down the road and not do anything. And obviously no cell phones then or anything oh, like no, that. Oh, no, man. I mean, this was even before you had uh, personal cassette players, you know, or anything like that. So, uh, But they would play. I mean, they had these boards that were special made to fit on the arms. So Jones would sit on the front row uh, opposite the driver's side. Skidmore was in the front seat behind the driver. Hobbs sat behind him. Galloway sat behind Jones. And then I was behind Galloway, so I was on row three. So they'd play cards. I mean, as soon as we the bus's wheels started moving to leave. and Let's just say that was rather entertaining. Uh, oh, they would ke- accuse each other of cheating all the time. And uh, it was just – and Coach Hobbs had tried to read a newspaper in between – you know, hands while they were dealing, and he'd get he'd get lost in there at times. And Coach Jones would get upset with him, and then Scoop and Galloway or teammates, and they'd get into it. Then they'd start getting Hobbs and Joneses. You couldn't sleep because there was something going on all the time, you know. So it's, uh, you know, you got that, and uh, and Coach Burgess was, uh, and I knew the best Burgess story I have probably is from. The first week I was at the radio station at WHMA, uh, we did a uh, uh, every day I did an interview with a high school coach. It was called Coach's Corner, and we did a 15-minute interview with a different high school coach. That's where I first met Ray Hammett, as a matter of fact. And uh, but Coach Burgess, so the first couple of years was Oxford High School. So I'd go down. I went to Donahoe on Monday, Oxford Tuesday, Anniston Wednesday, 
Welburn was Thursday and Saks was Friday. So my, I've been there one week, week two, Aniston-Oxford game. I do my – it was a 15-minute program that we did. So I go interview Coach Burgess on Tuesday for the Coach's Corner segment that we ran. And, I, you know, again, I'm new. I'm 23 years old. At the, well, I ain't even turned 23. I'm still, I guess, 22 at that time. So I go be bopping in his office on Friday afternoon, and those who know Coach Burgess know what I'm talking about here. So I go be bopping to his office on Friday, I don't know, 5 to 5.30. I'm going to do a new interview with him to run for the pregame show that night. Oh, I thought I was uh, uh, going to die right there in the locker room at Oxford High School that day. He gave me a look, and I'll never forget that as long as I live either. Oh, whew, oh he was not happy. And he looked at me, and he said, we're going to do this this time. But you remember from now on, we're going to do this before the uh, we're going to do this before game day I think was how he put it we ain't doing this again on Friday night yes sir <laughs> I understand so I knew that when he came to Jacksonville State so we always did um he would be in the office on Friday mornings usually home or uh, well home games and then depending on what where we were going and when we we're traveling but he would most of the time the assistants weren't in the office he'd tell them stay home take kids to school whatever you know spend some time with your wife whatever and he took care of everything in the office on fridays and he usually did the walkthrough on friday a lot of times just by himself and the guys would be out on the road recruiting too so i would tape uh usually my pregame with him on fridays sometimes thursday afternoons for the saturday game but most of the time on fridays because he didn't you didn't talk to him on game day so uh, you know, David Gulledge was going to Clemson when he became uh, before he came to Jacksonville State. And one of the neat things with what I do, you see them as they come in as freshmen and how they mature. You know, Gulledge, oh, he was tough to talk to. I'll just put it that way. A lot of short answers and trying to do an interview with him. But him, guy Eric Mims, you know, and people like that to come through. And and I'm just using those two uh, as an example. But did and how they mature and, and, you know, and grow up and everything. And and I think back, well, Gulledge, probably as good an athlete as has ever been at Jacksonville State. Had he played in this era of football, what kind of numbers would he have put up? Because we never threw the ball. You know, our tight ends were nothing but an extra offensive lineman to be out there running the wishbone or whatever. So, and, uh, you know, when I think I go through the record book and I'm looking at things and uh, – and the way we throw the ball around now, you know, a Joey Hamilton that just had his record broken. I don't know. People forget how good he was when he was at Jacksonville State. And good old Ed Led, you know, his records are all about going now too. Where they've been, but you know, he played in an era before the offenses were wide open, and, and Jacksonville State probably threw the ball more than anybody at that time. I never saw Ed play. I came in the year after he finished. His last year was '82, but you know what what he accomplished in, in throwing the football and everything. And you look at basketball and those sports and then in baseball. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to, to see a lot of those people who are very prominent in our record books in all sports. Somebody uh, was one of the guys that did an interview with the last week, you know, he said football, basketball, baseball, have you done anything else? And I've done two volleyball games on the radio. May have been the worst broadcast in the history of sports, I'm telling you. Our two uh, first two NCAA regional tournaments, and we ended up going to Knoxville both years to Tennessee. And Abby Bride, who's going into the Hall of Fame this week on Friday night, and I'm telling you, she's whoa, tremendous. She's 
if she's not the best that ever played at Jacksonville State in that sport, as Bum Phillips said about Earl Campbell, his name's near the top of the row. You know, when he talked about Earl Campbell, same thing with her. Oh, boy, she was, she was fun to watch. Um, but she was a part of those teams, you know. But I did, oh, I did two volleyball games on the radio, and it was oh, di- disaster. So, and I didn't. I know more now about volleyball than I knew at that point in time. But she's another one that was, you know, and, and Dana and Jana to be around them and to see, you know, what Dana, and Dana used to coach our women and Jana now a long time softball, and it's it, it's just been very special. Well, Mike, I think we could probably do this all night. But I, uh, we were You know I could talk. You've been around <laughs> me long enough to know that. We were on the road for six hours today on our way from Jacksonville to Evansville, and partially because I missed a few turns <laughs> along the way. Um, <laughs> but I think we might have to revisit this and make it a part two of this podcast and bring Mike Paris on all for right. another one at uh, a later date. But uh, I think we'll wrap this one up tonight. Uh I know you've got to get to bed, be refreshed in the morning because you'll have Harper and Petrie on bright and early on the radio and plus on Facebook Live. And so uh, That's the great thing about radio. My face is perfect for radio <laughs> all the time, man. Except for Facebook Live. It'll be well, that's there. true. I forgot about that. So. Now we'll have to freshen up a little bit, I guess. <laughs> so, Mike, uh, congratulations on number 400. Thank you. Another another 100 in the books for 500? Ooh, I don't know. You mentioned Lisa a while ago. She read one of the stories. She, the first thing she said, she looked at me and said, are we going for 500 now? <laughs> I did not answer. I just let that one go. I don't know. We'll see. Mike, thanks so much for Thank joining you. us tonight. Thank you. We'll have to do it again sometime soon. All right. Thanks, Tyler. That does it for this week's edition of Behind the Beak. Be sure to check back in Tuesday, October 29th, as we release a new episode. Until then, for Avery Davis, I am Tyler Brown saying thank you for listening and go Gamecocks. This has been Behind the Beak, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Look for new episodes each week or browse the archives on the Apple Podcast app or by visiting jsugamecocksports.com. For more on Jacksonville State Athletics, visit the official website of the Gamecocks, jsugamecocksports.com, and follow JSU on social media by searching at JSU Gamecocks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.